0: Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. I'm glad that you're here. I think there's no better place to be on a Sunday morning than in God's house with God's people. Can you say amen? No better way to start out your week. And, uh, and truly, I, I believe God's going to speak to you today. I believe He's going to use me and it's going to be uh, uh, my words, but it's going to be His Spirit. And I believe God will speak right to your spirit. As Pastor David said, we're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. We started it a couple uh, last week and we're going to go for, uh, honestly, a couple months, but we're going to go verse by verse, section by section, through the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest man to ever live. Our goal is that we would receive the words of Jesus so that our life could become like Jesus. So today, through this sermon, let Jesus preach to you. Can you say amen? Last week we talked about the Beatitudes, the blessings, and how powerful is it that God begins his sermon by blessing his people. And I want you to know today, if you feel like you are uh, an enemy of God or God is against you, that is not biblically true. On his first sermon, Jesus came to bless your life. He wants to bless your mind. He wants to bless your children. He wants to bless your heritage and your lineage. Can you say amen? Amen. And then Jesus moves from the blessings to this really important aspect of what it is to live a Christian life. What does it look like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? What does it taste like? What is it to be a living testimony? And so if you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 11 through 16 together. We're going to go back a little bit and kind of recap on the Beatitudes, and we're going to go into the... um, into the section that we're gonna hear from God on today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. As Jesus is preaching on this beautiful mountaintop around the region of Galilee, hear his words. Jesus says this Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a sand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, right now, we receive these words from you, though ancient, relevant God, and I thank you that your spirit is going to speak directly to us So, God, right now, we open our hearts and we open our minds. God, we get rid of our preconceived notions, maybe our ideas that are holding us back, and we open ourselves fully to you, Lord Jesus. God, I thank you that today you're going to deliver faith, you're going to deliver encouragement, you're going to deliver warnings and challenges, and you're going to give exactly what we need to hear. So we're ready to hear it. We're ready to hear it, and we receive it by faith. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Jesus gives us in this section three metaphors for the Christian life. And he uses these powerful words, salt, light, and a city. These three concepts is what God gives us right at the beginning of this sermon to see what it looks like to live the life of a Christian. Salt, light, and a city. And if you think about these things, they're all, I would almost put them in the category of of extreme They are things that stand out. They are elements that God gives us that we might live an evangelistic life, an outward-facing life, a bright life, a a, a flavorful life. These are things that God gives us that are not, let me put it this way, they distinguish you. These are distinguishing elements. They are meant to stand out because you are meant to stand out. You are called to be different. You are called to be unique. You are called to be in this world, but absolutely, certainly not of this world. You're of a different world, of a greater kingdom. And Jesus uses these elements to show us what this looks like because the purpose of the Christian life is to reveal the qualities of Jesus Christ. Every single Sunday when I pray the closing prayer over you, One of the elements of that prayer is that I pray that that whoever you interact with or wherever you go, that people would see God at work within you. That it would be tangible, visible, real. They might not know what it is. They might not be able to put their finger on it. They might not be able to label it. But you and I know what it is. God is at work in our lives. God is shining through our lives. And so Jesus sets these three metaphors up to look to show us what it looks like when God is active in your life. Let's begin with the metaphor of salt. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. Now this is thousands of years ago and these metaphors maybe have lost a little bit of their context. So, so you know now when you hear salt of the earth it, it doesn't sound all of that all that striking. Salt is kind of a an average, usual commodity It's the, kind of the least of, a, of the spices Or the, the flavors in your shelves You know, and, and now, you know, it's almost even um, Could be almost a pejorative, you know If someone calls you salty <laughs> You know, because you're like getting hyped up Over like little things that like, you can't get over this Why are you so salty about this Some of you got salty faces already. right, I'm looking right at you You came in here salty Got that New England salt all over you Got to get washed down Bring some holy water in here and so for us, it's kind of like, you know, what does that mean? But then they would have understood what salt represented. Would you guys mind just sitting down or, or going or doing whatever you're to do? But we're in the word of the Lord right now. Thank you. Sorry, I don't mean to do this, but it's extremely distracting for me. Not for you, but now it's distracting for you. <laughs> do I address that or do I continue on? I continue on. Then salt meant nothing. Now, wait, wait, wait. Then salt meant everything. This is going off the wall. started with my joke. Now I'm paying for it. (laughs) Then salt meant everything. You know, now salt means nothing. Then salt is where, you know, where we get the word salary from. Because you would be paid with money that you'd be able to go buy salt. It was that useful. And, And we still have that idiom today. You say that guy is worth his salt. Means he's a hard worker, means a hard earner, means you know, like, like he he goes after it. That's what salt represented. So when Jesus is saying you are the salt of the earth, he's saying that you are worth something very valuable to society. Salt had three primary functions back then. The first was to preserve that you were there to maintain the integrity of something. Before refrigeration, the only way that you could keep something uh, edible over long periods of time is that you would have to salt it and that it would preserve the integrity. And make no mistake, Christians are meant to salt the earth so as to say to preserve the integrity of the gospel, of values, of the traditions that should be maintained, and the things that should not be lost just because something new is trending on Twitter. You're the salt of the earth. But he goes on and says, you are also the primary seasoning to any dish, that there's a flavor element to this salt, that you are there to add flavor into life. Because the truth of the matter is that back then, they didn't have many elements that would season a dish like we do today. This was primarily it. You only had salt to bring some taste to the things that you would eat. Some of you, that's still all you use. (laughs) My dad is a heavy salter. He just... Sometimes I'm watching them and I look away, and we have a conversation. I look back; he's still salted. <laughs> so, flavor adder, an additive, and, and we'll speak about that in a moment. But, but there's you know one more unique aspect to the function of salt. It's and, it, and it's this: is that salt was used in sacrifices. This is this is this is interesting. It would use to create a covenant. This is an an interesting aspect of it. It was called the salt covenant. And and if you look in Leviticus chapter 2, the Bible says this, season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Look, add salt to all all your offerings. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Of course, we've heard of the burnt offering. You've heard of the blood offering. You know, you've heard of all the the, the different types of offering, of course, offering where you give money, but this is a unique one, the salt offering. And, 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 And God's telling us, don't bring your offering without bringing salt. Add salt to all your offerings. This is interesting because Jesus is the offering. There there is no substitute, right? In fact, what kind of offering is it? It's a grain offering. Jesus says, This is my body. He took the bread, he broke it. This is my body. It's the grain offering which was given for you. But then Jesus says, But you are the salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of the grain offering. Add salt to all of your offerings. So what, what the Bible is saying is when Jesus gives his life, if you add your life, there begins to be a divine covenant between God and man. Let me go even further. The grain offering was a meal. It was a meal that was meant to be shared by God and by the priests. What kind of meal does God share with his people? It's the Lord's Supper. This was thousands of years before preparing us to receive communion with God. Jesus says, take, eat, and remember me. These things put together equals communion, relationship. Remember at the Last Supper, he says, I no longer call you servant, but I call you friends. friends. This is a covenant of relationship with God. Are, are, you, are you catching this? This is so powerful. What Jesus is saying is that you are a part of my offering. Now, we know that we're not the main part. We're not the grain. You know, we're not the flesh. We're not not the meat. We're just the salt. But God says, but I still need that part. Don't forget that part. Make sure you add it in because when you come together, this is a divine offering before the Lord. But by the way, you're not the salt for heaven. Heaven doesn't need you right now. You are the salt of the earth. In other words, what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I want for you to take the Lord's table. I want you to take the relationship I gave to you and take it into the earth. Yeah. Take the Lord's table and bring it into the earth. Show people what it looks like to have a relationship with me. Show people what it looks like to bring a touch of me. And that's all it takes, right, is a touch. Just a little bit of salt goes a long way. Just a little bit of salt is an additive into the life of those around you. Just a little bit of salt seasons other people's faith. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. So just so you know, like God's not looking for the grand sacrifice. He is the grand sacrifice. He's just looking a little bit, of the salt of your life, your time, your effort, your mind, your thoughts, your actions, your reactions, your spirit. He's just looking for a little bit of it to be added into other people's lives, and it brings flavor. And you might say, well, that won't change the world, but it might change someone's world. Well, that won't change a life, but it might change a moment. It might be exactly what people need right at that time. You know, maybe that's why the enemy always wants you to be in a bad mood. The enemy always wants to stop moments. The enemy always wants to come in and get involved because he knows how powerful it is when you add just a little bit of salt, just a little bit of seasoning, just a little bit of faith, just a little bit of hope, just a little bit of joy, just a little bit of generosity. You might think it's no big deal, but who knows what the person on the other side is going through? Who knows? It could be a radical moment for them. And it's only a little bit from you. Just a little bit is more than enough. You know, yesterday, my parents brought my sons to a, a card collector shop. And he, eight, Judah's eight years old, so he's starting to get into cards. It seems like a rite of passage for boys at that age. And, uh, and I'm excited for him, you know. And, and so they go there, and he's been saving his change all week long and, and stealing my change while he's at it you know, going in the junk drawer and going to the couch, and he has this bag of change, and he says, Dad, can we stop at CoinStar and change this change over, let say that five times fast, to cash. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, no, no, uh, Judah, we don't have time for that, you know, we don't have time, just take the change in there, because I knew my dad was going to be the one bringing him in, so he couldn't be embarrassed walking in with a bunch of pennies. <laughs> and uh and so they, they go into this this card store, and, and Judah's picking this out and that out, and he's got, like, six dollars, and he only wants to spend three because he's thinking about next week, and, and <laughs> he's trying to get deals. And so, um, so they go to the, 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 the checkout, and, you know, as they're checking out, the guy asks my son, he said, what's your favorite, you know, what's your favorite sports? And Judas says, I like football. And I like basketball. And the guy reaches underneath the counter and he pulls out two more packs and he puts them on top for Judah. And takes two more and puts them on top for Mike. And he goes, hey, these are from me, guys. You know, it's just a little bit. Just a little bit. I don't know if this guy's a Christian or not. I don't know if he's just doing it out of just being a, a great human or out of, motivated out of Christ. But can I tell you, it's just a little bit of salt. In my son's eyes, for hours... Now, I know that my son will hear thousands of sermons about generosity in his life, but that's probably the greatest sermon he'll ever see. It's just a little bit of salt, a little bit of generosity added into his life. And this is what God is speaking of us. And then he moves on and it's sort of this riddle. He says, you're the salt. And then he goes, "But but what happens if salt loses its saltiness? What do you do with salt? That loses its flavor, that loses its spice, that loses its saltiness. Well, it's interesting. It's kind of a, a unique, kind of funny riddle that Jesus begins this sermon with. Like, like, you know, what do you do with food that loses its heat? You know, you reheat it. You know, what do you do, lose with, the, what, what do, you do with the phone that, that its battery loses its charge? You recharge it. Um, a lot of phones going off right now to help my illustration. But don't worry. I'm... I'm plowing through this Sunday morning. You can't stop me. You can't stop me. When that kid cries out, we'll just bring it up here and dedicate it. Don't worry. But what do you do with salt that loses its saltiness? Resalt it? Why? Because it, it, its nature is to be salty. Its nature is to be useful. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, don't, don't go against, don't lose your nature. This is who you are. You're an additive. In other words, Jesus is saying, I've put you into people's lives to add to people's lives. Don't lose that. Because if you lose that, you're not useful. And see, the whole goal of the Christian life is to be useful to God. You might think the, the goal of Christian life is to feel God, but that's not true. It's to be useful to God. And so Jesus is saying, hey, make sure you don't lose this aspect of who you are that I can put you in situations, and you'll add, not detract. You'll add. I pray you add more to every situation than you require from it. I pray you add more to every relationship than you require from it. I pray you add good, godly things, not negative, down, weird Vibes. That's a wrong kind of salt. Salty. Saltines. It's not you. It's not you. You're supposed to be just the right amount. When you walk out of that room, people will be like, I like that guy. I don't know, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. You know what it is. It's salt. <laughs> Amen? Amen. The second illustration, metaphor that Jesus uses for you and I is light. You are the light of the world. Well, what is light? It's a revealer. It stands out. It shows, opens the path, makes the way. Light simply is revealed. The, The question is, what does your life reveal about God to others? What aspects of God of Jesus, is shown through your life. I know it's very difficult to forgive people, especially people that hurt you. But when you do forgive, it reveals the aspect of God that is a forgiver. I know it's very difficult to love some people, but when you do love despite them, their actions or reactions, it shows an aspect about God. It's a light for the whole world. You are called to be a revealer of God to others. Show the world what he looks like. And and this is really right in line with who Jesus is. Jesus says this in John chapter 8. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Come on, thank God. But will have the light of life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Hold on, I am. But in the Sermon on on the Mount, he says, you are the light of the world. I am, you are. Well, well, what happens here? There's a divine interaction that takes place that moves from I am to you are. What happens? There has to be a contact. There has to be something supernatural that gives us the nature of light. Because make no mistake, that's not our natural state. No, no, our natural state is to walk in darkness. But when you meet Jesus... You not only see Jesus, you receive Jesus, and you become like Jesus. So he says, I am the light, therefore you can become the light. And we all know this, that that lighting a candle requires a spark. That you cannot light a candle, no matter how much you wish or blink or hope, you need a spark. You need a light from another source. Jesus says, I am the light, but when you come alongside Jesus in worship, in prayer, in salvation, in hope, you walk away with the light of Jesus. He begins to put his nature. That happens sometimes. Don't worry. That's called backsliding. That happens. All right? This is what you're to do. You just got to go back to the light. Truth is, it's not you. It's not your will. It's not your goodness. Your practices. It's the light of Jesus. It begins to shine through you. Do you remember the story of the Emmaus Road? The two disciples were walking along, and they were down. This woman that was baptized says she struggles with depression. They were down. They were depressed. But then Jesus comes and walks alongside of them. Then Jesus' word begins to be expound to them. And as they walk with Jesus, as they walk along the journey, because sometimes it takes a while for the light to start to grow in your life. As they're close to Jesus, his light gets on them and they say, did not our hearts burn within us as we walked, walked along the road? Why? Because they got close to Jesus. Amen? Yeah. The reality is, when you walk along life, if, uh, if you stay close to Jesus, that's the thing that will keep your heart on fire. When you get along uh, other Christians, that's the thing that will keep your light burning bright. It's the nature of Jesus that gets on you. Jesus gave up his divine nature and took on human nature so that we could one day add to our human nature divine nature. This is what it says in the book of John, John chapter 6. It says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. You know, the problem is many people are trying to get light from the flesh. They're trying to awaken their spirit through their body or through their soul. But the reality is your spirit can only be awakened by the Holy Spirit. There is no substitute. There is no shortcut. There is no other way for your spirit to be awakened. Please hear me. Yoga cannot awaken your spirit. Hard workouts, music, opening yourself up, astrology, the signs, substances. Those are body and soul things that can never awaken your spirit. Only the spirit can give life. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And so Jesus comes alongside you and he puts his spirit on you and he puts his light within you, but it comes from contact with the creator. There's got to be contact with the cross. There's got to be closeness. But when there is contact, there's radical change. There's radical And continuing change. Like radical, in other words, in one moment, things shift. And if you haven't had that experience, at the end of this sermon, we're going to pray. And I believe in one moment, there can be a spirit awakening in your life. Like the the blind man that met Jesus at the pool of Siloam. Jesus spits into the, the dirt and makes mud and puts his DNA into the earth and sticks it on the man's eyes. The Bible says he went and he washed and he came back seeing. And the Pharisees who knew him, they did not care what change happened to him. They were just trying to figure out who dared, who dared do this on the Sabbath. And, and, and they're saying, saying, who was it that did this to you? And he didn't even know. He said, I don't really know who it was. I don't know why he did it. All I know is this. I once was blind. Now I see. What happened? I had contact with Christ. It radically changed my life. It gave me a new nature. And that's true. That will happen in a moment, but it will also continue on in life. Just like A candle gets brighter as the wax burns down. And right at the beginning, the light might not be that strong, but it will grow stronger as the wax burns away. Just like a bonfire will grow hotter as the bark and the moisture is burned away, so your life will grow hotter and hotter as you grow with Jesus Christ. It will begin to burn the flesh away. Your mind will change. Your mouth will change. Your thoughts will change. Your actions will change. Your reactions will change. And it will take time. Who you are now, I pray to God, will not be who you are five years from now. I pray you're better. I pray you're brighter. From glory to glory, from strength to strength, from light to light, I pray you grow brighter as you follow in the way of the Lord Jesus. Can you say amen? amen? Amen. But I do have to give you a warning here. You have to stay close to the source. Even if you were lit once, there will be many times you have to go back time and time again to the source. You have to be careful that you don't stray away from the source. 2 Corinthians 6.14, Paul tells us, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What is he saying? He's saying that you have to be careful who you're connected with. you got to keep coming back to Jesus. you got to stay close to other people of the light please hear me. Just because you have the light is not enough. you got to stay with light bringers. you got to stay walking in the light. you got to stay close to the source of the light. I say this because I think many times Christians, they, they have their lives radically changed, but then they walk back into darkness, and they, they want to, you know, let me just put it this way. A lot of times people end up dating darkness, and it's like, hey, you are walking This way, he is walking that way, you are on two different paths. What fellowship can light have with darkness? What partnership can there be? You have to even be careful who you get into business with. Because you have to be walking the similar paths. You have to be connected, yoked up with these people. And if you try and follow Christ and they try and follow mammon, you might end up having to split apart. And Jesus is saying, choose today who you're going to serve. Do not be unequally yoked with people that you do not want to plow together with, you do not want to live together with. Do not be unequally yoked with people who you want to go to a different place than they want to be placed. Why? Because your nature is light. And you need to make sure you maintain that nature in your life and around your life. Can you say amen? amen? The last metaphor Jesus gives us is that we are a city on a hill. You are salt. You are light, and you are a city. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I really like this part of the Sermon on the Mount because of the, the uh, geography around Jesus. As he's speaking across the Sea of Galilee, up high on a ridge, is a famous city called Susita, or Hippos in Greek. And this is some drone footage we took on our tour of this city. And in the, in the background is the Sea of Galilee, and you see the Mount of Beatitudes. But here is this gleaming, massive Roman city with giant white columns, and, and it, it, it stands over the entire region. It is a city on a high hill. And at night, the torches of this city would have gleamed. And in the early morning, the sunlight would come up over that ridge, and it would hit this city, and it would illuminate it like a lamp. Everyone from everywhere could see this city. And this city was a part of the Decapolis, which were ten cities that Rome set up to show the power and the strength and the might of the Roman Empire. It set it up to influence the region. Say, this is how we live. This is how we speak. This is who we are. We're Rome. And when Jesus is speaking to his people, he says, see that? I want you to be like that. You are a city on a hill. You are a reflection of strength, you are a reflection of light, and you are a reflection of a different kingdom. We are not a reflection of Rome, we are a reflection of heaven. I pray your life reflects the Lord. I pray your life reflects the strength of God. I pray your life is built like a strong tower. In other words, that it's not weak, it's not hidden, it's not quiet. Jesus knew what he was doing when he addressed the people. He says, "Who are you? You are a city." I pray that God strengthens you. I pray that God establishes you. I pray that God convicts you. I pray that God puts passion into you. The vision for this church is that this church would be a city on a hill. It's not by accident we're on top of a tall hill. It's not by accident we have these large buildings. It's not by accident. We have this beautiful surroundings not by accident that there's a lot of people here this week and we're at the first service and we'll be at the next service. Why? Because God's growing something strong. Amen. And may God grow something strong in you. Rome was built on seven hills. Jerusalem was built on Mount Zion, but we are built on the mountain of the Lord. He is our strength and our protector and our refuge And may we be a reflection of strength, a reflection of passion and purpose. I pray your life is built like a city. Like Pastor says, I pray you're not a wet noodle, (laughs) like a jellyfish with no spine, that our doctrine isn't dictated by what's trending on Twitter. It's eternal and scriptural. And whether people agree or don't agree, it's not based on people. It's based on the everlasting, ever-living Word of the Lord. Amen. That it's built on a solid rock, Amen. a strong foundation, firm and secure. Amen. To our old age, we will be able to walk this path, live this life, and be built by our God. Amen. Think of the early church father, Ignatius of Antioch, who took over the church of Antioch from St. Peter. when he put his hands on him and blessed him. He served as a bishop for... His whole life faithfully following Jesus. At the end of his life, persecution broke out against Christians. And they put Ignatius in chains. They were going to bring him to Rome to put him in the Colosseum that he'd be torn apart by wild beasts. And they put these chains and connected him to ten Roman soldiers. And they walked him through Asia Minor on the way to Rome. And he wrote letters to the believers in chains. And he wrote one letter to the believers in Rome. And he said, hey, do not intervene for me. Do not get me out of this. He said, I just now am beginning to understand what it is to, be, to become a disciple. I just now am becoming a disciple. And at every location, the Christians would come out and they would encourage him. And they would get on their knees and they would kiss his chains. He's a man willing to die for Jesus. That's a city on a hill. That's right. It's a strong tower. Yes. That's a man that understands that to live is Christ and yes. to die is gain. Yes. May we be like that in our lives. Amen. Yes. Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. Yes. The problem is right now we have a Christianity that tries to blend in when Jesus is calling it to stand out. Right. And the values of the kingdom are always going to be antithetical to the values of the world. There's no getting out of it. So if you want to be comfortable, don't choose Christianity. And if you want to be accepted by everybody, find another religion, a secular one. But this one will cause you to stand out. One time, one time, Pastor was in in his college class getting his master's degree, and the professor said, the question was, are all Christians leaders? And pastor said, absolutely. And the professor challenged it and said, I don't know if all Christians are leaders. How how would you defend that? And pastor said, in a dark room, whoever has the match is the leader. You got the light. By nature, you're going to stand out. God is establishing you as a city on a hill. By your nature, you're going to be seen by all. Jesus says you would never ever light a lamp and then put it underneath a basket. Put it so that it lights the whole house. I say this because there is, a, there is going to be the temptation, increasingly so, to deny the word of the Lord in order to fit in with culture. Increasingly so. In the next 5, 10, 15 years, we may even in our own lifetime see the persecution that Ignatius saw it's trending very quickly in that direction and we have to make the solemn seal today on who we are in Christ and we will not shift and we will not give in and we will not hide or try and blend in but that we we get comfortable being countercultural because what we believe about God is different than what the world believes about God what we believe about Jesus and salvation, what we believe about marriage, what we believe about children, what we believe about education, what we believe about freedom of religion and speech, what we believe about life is radically different than the world. It's based on unerring, unchanging Scripture. And it it will not fit in This block will not fit into the circle of the world. So we have to become comfortable with being countercultural that no matter what the world says, our firm foundation is on Christ. That we will stand out. Salt, light, city. And then maybe we can receive the blessings from Jesus where he says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. We really haven't had to live this verse. But in our lifetime, we may have to. And may we be ready to. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. The purpose of the Christian life is to reveal the qualities of Jesus Christ, that those on earth can get a glimpse of heaven.